Isaiah chapter 22 this evening. If you found that and you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Isaiah 22, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 to start. We'll be looking at the entire chapter, uh, time permitting, this evening. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, The burden of the valley of vision. What aileth thee now, that thou art wholly gone up to the housetops? Thou that art full of stirs, a tumultuous city, a joyous city, thy slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. Who is this talking about? Uh, no country is listed. It says in verse uh, 1, it's the, valley, va- uh, the burden of the valley of vision. Well, if you continue to read down as we will, you'll see that this is talking about Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem and their captivity. Mostly, uh, most of this chapter deals with their captivity to Babylon. And so uh, there's a very visual, in fact, um, let's go ahead and look at it now. I wasn't planning on doing this, but let's go ahead and uh, do this now. Look with me at the end of the chapter. Look at verse number 22. And this is where we're getting our title for the Bible study this evening out of these verses. 22 down to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he, he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity from the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. Verse 25, In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall. And the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord hath spoken it. Uh, there are folks who are going to put their faith in what they think is a sure thing. They, they think they're holding on to a nail that is tightly fastened and can go nowhere. That nail is going to fall out of its place. And those who are holding on to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and have their weight placed on Him, boy, that's going to hold fast. So the idea here is where is your faith? Is your faith in that which will falter and fail in time? Or is your faith in that which will never fail? The title of the Bible study is this, A Faith That Holds Fast. A Faith That Holds Fast. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this church. Thank you for the opportunity to study the Bible. Lord, help us to understand the passage tonight with our heads. But Lord, challenge us in our hearts. And Lord, help us to leave here this evening determined that our trust is going to be in you and not in money, you and not in people, uh, you and not some organization. Uh, but Lord, above all and through all, it will be in you. Lord, we, we ask tonight that you would refine us, put your finger in those areas where our faith is misplaced. And Lord, help us to address those things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I was in the 10th grade, I took uh, biology, a biology class, and my teacher was named Mr. Reese. And Mr. Reese had been a drill instructor in the Marines um, many years prior. And so I was in 10th grade in 1997, 1998, somewhere in there. And Mr. Reese had been out for a while. But Mr. Reese had a deep voice. In fact, when he corrected the class, you felt like you had a drill instructor breathing down your your throat. Uh, Mr. Reese was a good man who loved the Lord and uh, taught biology uh, always with a biblical 
uh, understanding, a biblical worldview. I remember one day he was teaching our uh, biology class and he chased a rabbit. All right, This has nothing to do with biology. But boy, uh, I don't really remember much he taught me from biology class, but I do remember this one illustration from Mr. Reese. He talked about repelling. And he said, when you repel down the side of a rock, you have a rope that is secured to a fixed point at the top and a D-ring and a a rope that's weight-tested and approved for whatever your weight is coming down the side of that rock. He said, now, when you're going down the rock, uh, your feet are placed on the side of the rock and that rock that you put your feet on provides security. It provides security that while you're going down this ledge, you're going to be okay. But the rock is not, the rock that your feet are up against does not, uh, is not what is going to get you to the bottom. What's going to get you to the bottom is the fact that that rope at the top of the mountain is secured and holds fast until you get to the bottom. He said, now listen, some people, they have their faith in a man and the rock, uh, the rock that their feet are on, in this case, uh, say with the analogy here, the rock that their feet are on, that rock is only supposed to provide them confidence. They said God is their conf- God provides them their confidence, but God is not holding them up. He said, let a man fall, let a man fail, let a pastor let them down, let a parent let them down, let some other authority figure uh, fail them in their life and they'll give up on God. The, the rope and the point that is fastened to should be the Lord. And the thing that provides you a little bit of security, that security blanket on the way down, ought to be church and ought to be a pastor, ought to be uh, uh, some other authority in your life, ought to be uh, 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 friends, the church environment. Listen, if the pastor ever falls and fails, your confidence shouldn't, or rather your, 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 your hope, that rope shouldn't be a man, that rope should be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Uh, uh, listen, uh, churches sometimes dry up and cease to exist. I don't see that happening anytime soon with White Oak Baptist Church. Uh, but listen, all churches, all churches eventually, one of two things happens to all churches uh, in the long run. Almost all of them either go apostate or they shut down. Almost all of them. Um, you can't find a church from three or four hundred years ago that is still going strong and preaching the Bible and holding to truth. They've all either shut their doors or they've gone a direction where they don't teach the Word of God anymore. And one day, if the Lord tarries, uh, unfortunately, it may take a couple hundred years, that very well could happen to this church. Your faith should not be in a church. Your faith should be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? A faith that holds fast. Sometimes we put our faith... And other things, and, and we put our faith in our bank account. You you have some savings maybe stowed away. Maybe you don't have any savings stowed away. You find your faith in a credit card, amen? You, you swipe and continue to hope that it, it's not declined, right? Uh, but uh, you have faith in a savings account. You have faith in an IRA. You have faith in a 401K. You have faith in an insurance policy in case you pass. By the way, there's nothing wrong having any of those things. But listen... Is that the rock that your feet are up against as you repel down the mountain? Or is that the rope that you're depending on to hold you up? Where is your faith? You see, one day, this nail that you are fastened to, if it's anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, very much could be ripped out of the wall and you could go falling. You could go free falling. But if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. He's going nowhere. 
he's going nowhere. Here we find Isaiah, and he's addressing these different countries. And now he's turned and he's looking at his own people. He's looking at the Israelites. And he is telling them, listen, folks, your faith is misplaced. Your faith is hooked to a nail that while it looks secure, that nail is going to fail you and that nail is going to let you go and you're going to end up in captivity. You're going to end up in utter destruction because your faith is misplaced. And he encourages them to put their faith in that person who will never let them down. Do they listen to him? No, they don't listen to him. We know they will land in captivity. Let's look at tonight two main thoughts as we consider this idea of a faith that holds fast. And we're going to take the chapter apart verse by verse and, and, and dissect it and do our best to understand it. Take notes with me if you would. Number one, notice the unbelief of the people. The unbelief of the people. Uh, now, uh, here we find... Uh, look, look back at verse number one here. It says, The burden of the valley of vision. Now, Isaiah loves to use statements that are almost oxymoronic, uh, contradictory in nature. We looked at the, uh, the desert in the sea a couple of weeks ago. How do, or how do you have desert in a sea? How do you have, uh, how do you have that, that lack of vegetation or that lack of water while you're on water and uh, what's he doing here he's using paradoxical or rather excuse me he's using oxymoronic statements to get the attention and here he uses yet another one the valley of vision now if you want a vision you want to see a long ways you don't go in a valley y'all with me tonight you go up on a mountaintop and then you have a vision you have a view right I just got back from Peru a few weeks ago. We were in the Andes Mountains. And uh, boy, the, the vision, the distances you could see right outside of Angela's hometown. We drove up and up and up and up and up. And, and I got to drive in Peru. How many of you have ever driven in a third world country? How many of you have ever driven in a third world country? It's a different experience, isn't it? I loved it. I, I really I had Matthew sit in the back seat and take a video of me driving in a third world country. I had a great time with it. I get to drive aggressive and I get to get away with it. Here you drive aggressive and people honk at you. They don't like it very much. There they honk at you, but everybody honks all the time. Anyway, I'm driving around in, in Peru and, and uh, in Angel's hometown and we, we went on a trip and we went way, way, way up this mountain. There's no guardrails and you're making these uh, hairpin turns around and you think is this little four cylinder car going to get up there we got to the very top and we stand there and we look and you can see for miles and miles and miles you have a vision of the city of Huancayo where Angela grew up and uh, you don't go to a valley to get a vision but notice here that Isaiah says I went into a valley and God gave me a vision. Now, the unbelief of the people, let me give you an a, letter A and a B here. Notice letter A, their party on the rooftops. Their party on the rooftops. Look back at verse number one here. It says, The burden of the valley of vision, what aileth thee now that, uh, thou, uh, that thou art wholly gone up to the housetops? To the housetops. Um, uh, look at verse two. Thou art full of stirs, a tumultuous city, a 
joyous city. We see they're on the rooftop. They're uh, having a party. They're uh, joyous in the occasion. Uh, Thy slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. We'll look at that part of the verse in a moment. Uh, listen, uh, the way that housetops were constructed during Old Testament times, they built the homes and there was an outdoor um, uh, a staircase that went up to the roof where you would have your gatherings. It was much like our outdoor patios. And uh, their patio, if you will, was on the rooftop. That's where they'd have people come and there'd be a, a ledge around a waist high to protect you. and You'd be up there. You'd have your party up on the rooftop. And so we know that in this time that Israel, uh, Isaiah lived, there were many gatherings and there were feasts in Jerusalem and there was joy and there was a party atmosphere that would go along. In fact, turn over with me, if you would, uh, and look at, um, or rather look down at verse number 13, 22, and look at verse number 13. It says, And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. That phrase, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. That was an attitude of, hey, you know what? We're going to have a party because we're probably going to die tomorrow, right? It's this life is short, eat dessert first attitude. Amen? It's a, hey, it's a, the, you only live once mentality. So if I'm only going to live once, I might as well live it up and have a great time. Life is one big party. And Isaiah is saying, hey, all of you, you're just concerned about having fun. You, you want the parties and the joy and the gladness. He said, your faith, your faith is misplaced. Your faith is not in God because you don't have a sober bone in your body. You're too busy on your housetop, on your rooftop, having a great time. In fact, we see this idea of the party on the rooftop continue. Look at Isaiah chapter 56 and verse number 12. Turn over to chapter 56 of Isaiah and look with me again at verse number 12. The Bible says, Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. You see the, the, the attitude of, hey, quesera, sera, what will be, will be. Let's go have a great time. Let's, let's drink it up with our buddies. Let's have a wonderful time. Let's have a party. And this was the attitude. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 32, 1 Corinthians 15, 32. Turn over there with me. We see the same attitude addressed in the New Testament. The Bible says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink. Here's that same phrase. For tomorrow we die. Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. Can you see Isaiah preaching his sermon in the street? And, and, and he's, he's hammering them over their sin. He's hammering them over their wickedness. He's hammering them over the shallowness of their religion. And they look at him and say, whatever, dude. Hey, let's go get a couple six-packs. Meet me at my house on the rooftop. We're going to have a party. It's going to be a joyous occasion. And, and, and uh, Isaiah says, the city is it's a tumultuous city. It's filled with sin. But to them, it's a, it, is a, it is a joyous city because they're too busy having one giant party. The unbelief of the people, we see their party on the rooftop. Notice letter B. Their problems in the valley. 
their problems in the valley. Again, look back at Isaiah 22 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, The burden of the valley of vision, what aileth thee now? That, uh, that thou art wholly gone up to the housetops. Uh, thou art, thou that are full of stirs, a tumultuous city, a joy city. Look here. Thy slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. Thy slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. What is Isaiah saying here? He's saying, look, you all, while you're having a party up on the rooftop, I'm standing down in a valley and God is giving me a vision of what's coming. And what's coming is no party. In this valley, I see people who are dead. But they weren't killed with a sword in battle. No, no, no. They died another way. They died another way. Well, how did these folks die? Well, he's talking about the incoming invasion of Babylon. We understand that Babylon, they came in, and they didn't come in killing people. They came in and imposed their, their strength and dominance, and then what did they start doing? They started kidnapping people. And there were waves of kidnappings that happened. They took the, the, the elite of the elite as far as wealth, class, and education, brought them back. Uh, Daniel and um, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names, they, were, they went in that first capture, right? And there were several other waves of capture that took place by the Babylonians. They, they really didn't go in to kill. They weren't the Assyrians looking to just level everyone out. No, they were taking people back. They were taking people back. And then what happens if you read the book of Jeremiah, uh, or rather the book of Lamentations, uh, Jeremiah is allowed to come back to Jerusalem. And what does he see? He sees a woman that she's so malnourished, she can't even breastfeed her baby. She see, he sees little boys and girls walking through the steep streets with soot and ash on their face, and they can't even find a meal out of a dumpster on the side of the road. Isaiah here, in the Valley of Vision, he is predicting death in a valley. He's predicting what Jeremiah would later share with us in the book of Lamentations. And I'm going to show you that here. Let me give you several thoughts below letter B. Notice what he saw, their problem in the valley. Notice famine and disease. Famine and disease. Look back at verse number 2. It says, the second half of the verse, Thy slain men are not slain with the sword, nor dead in battle. The folks that I see laying on, laying on the ground dead, they, they're not dying because they were de- defeated in war. They're dying because of famine and disease. Take your Bibles over to 2 Kings 25. We're going to look at the, the, fir- the first ten verses of 2 Kings 25. We're going to do it methodically here. We're going to look at the first three verses here to begin with. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. So it's before Chronicles and after Samuel. Uh, 2 Kings chapter number 25. And uh, look at the first three verses. And here we see again uh, the prophecy of Isaiah coming true. Verse number 1. I'll begin reading and catch up when you get there. It says, And it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, in the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came, he and all of his hosts, against Jerusalem, and pitched against it, and they built forts against it round about. And the city was besieged under the eleventh day of king Zedekiah. Look here, and on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine prevailed in the city. There was no bread for the people of the land. You see, they had put their faith in themselves. They had put their faith in their bank accounts. They had put their faith in a dead religion in the temple. By the way, you can faithfully attend White Oak Baptist Church and have a dead religion. 
They were going to the right building. They were worshiping the right God. But they weren't really worshiping. They were going through the motions. They, they had their faith in religion that had become dead to them. And now God has sent His judgment on them. And boy, because their faith was in the wrong thing, Isaiah says, i got a valley and a vision, and I see people dead, and it's not from war. It's from famine and disease. What else did uh, Isaiah see there in the, in the valley of vision? Notice he saw fear and desertion. Fear and desertion. Go back to, hold your place in 2 Kings 25, and go back over to Isaiah 22, and look with me at verse 3. We're going to read down through verse 7. Isaiah says, And thy rulers are fled together. They are bound by the archers. All that are found in thee are bound together, which have fled from far. Therefore said I, Look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Labor not to comfort me because of the spoiling of the daughter of my people. For it is a day of trouble and of treading down and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountains and Elam bare the quiver with chariots of men and horsemen and Kerr uncovered the shield and it shall come to pass that thy choicest valleys shall be full of chariots and the horsemen shall set themselves in array at the gate. Speaking of the Babylonian invasion and the carrying away uh, of the kidnapping of the Israelites. The valley is going to be filled with chariots, not there to do war, but there to uh, take you away. And where will your leaders be? Oh, they're going, to tuck, they're going to tuck tail and run. They're going to be nowhere to be found. Uh, your leaders are so corrupt that uh, they're involved in the party life and all of the Ponzi schemes that uh, they had going on, take advantaging, taking advantage of the poor and, 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 and the wealth, uh, or, or rather the, uh, the, the wealth war, uh, war uh, that was going on, the um, uh, income war that was going on, the attitude of we're better than you because we have more money than you that, that is addressed in the minor prophets at great length at this same time frame. And when, uh, when hardship comes, are your leaders going to be there to stand up and say, hey, we're going to leave the charge. No, they're going to tuck tail and they're going to disappear. Go back to 2 Kings chapter 25 and we see this uh, prediction of uh, this prophecy of Isaiah coming true. Look at verse 4. So Isaiah writes about it in future tense. In 2 Kings it's recorded after it happened. Verse 4, and the city was broken up and all the men of war fled by night. There's your generals and your kings and your warriors. They fled by night by the way of the gate between two walls, which is by the king's garden. Now the Chaldees were against the city round about, and the king went the way toward the plain. So the warriors are heading toward the enemy. They're starving. They're, 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 they're famished. Uh, they're, they're, they're running toward, in, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to win a battle, a last-ditch effort, the king head toward, head, heads toward the plain. Verse 5, in the army of the Chaldees, pursued after the king, this coward that's on the run, and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his armies were scattered from him. Again, Isaiah said, I see the leaders bound together by the archers. Well, why? Because they were chased here in um, um, 2 Kings 25, verse 6. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon, to Riblah, and uh, they gave judgment unto him. Look what happens to this coward who ran. Verse 7, And they slew the sons of King Zedekiah before his eyes. He has to stand there and watch his, his children be murdered. And then the Bible, as if that wasn't bad enough, 
and put out the eyes of Zedekiah. They, they poke his eyes out and bound him with fetters of brass and carried him to Babylon. So fear and desertion, the leaders are afraid when God's hand of judgment falls because their faith was misplaced. And uh, in that fear, they desert the people. The, the, the political leaders are not there to help them. What else did Isaiah see in the valley of vision? Well, we, he saw famine and disease. He saw fear and desertion. Notice he saw failure and destruction. Go back to Isaiah 22. Hold your place in Second Kings 25. Isaiah 22, and look at verse number 8. The Bible says, And he discovered the covering of Judah, and thou didst look in that day to the armor of the house of the force. Where is their faith? Well, they, they didn't look to the Lord. They looked to the armor of the house of the forest. Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David. They are many. And ye gather together the waters of the lower pool. And ye have numbered the houses of Jerusalem. And the houses have ye broken down to fortify the wall. Ye made also a ditch between the two walls or a moat uh, for the waters of the old pool. But ye have not looked unto the maker thereof. Neither had respect unto him that fashioned it long ago. What's Isaiah saying here? He's saying, you put your faith in your own efforts uh, to fortify the city. You put your faith in your own efforts to make uh, things strong, but you didn't look at the God who made you and made all of that to begin with. Your faith is misplaced. Your faith is in a nail that will be ripped away from the wall. Go back to 2 Kings 25. Again, that was Isaiah's prophecy. Now let's see it come to pass. Look at verse number 8. It says, And in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which is, uh, which is the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebu, Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, or a servant of Nebuchadnezzar, into Jerusalem. Look at verse 9. So they had fortified. They had all this armament in place. Well, how did that turn out for him? Verse 9. And he burnt the house of the Lord. There goes the temple. He blew it up. And the king's house. And the houses of Jerusalem. And every great man's house burnt he with fire. And all the army of the Chaldees that were with the captain of the guard break down the walls of Jerusalem round about. Now the rest of the people that were left in the city and the fugitives that fell away to the king of Babylon with the remnant of the multitude did Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carry away. So there's the carrying away, not the destroying with the sword. What, what happened here? What happened here? They put their faith in their own intellect, their own strength, they put their faith in what they could do, and they never put their faith in God. Uh, what did they do? Well, they collected uh, armor. Turn to First Kings chapter seven and verse two. First Kings seven and verse two. We see their failure and destruction. Why? Because their faith was in themselves, not in their God. First Kings seven and verse number two. Uh, I'll begin reading as soon as I get there. Uh, the Bible. Uh, the Bible says. Ooh, one more page. Almost there. There we go. It says there, He built also the house of the forest of Lebanon. The length thereof was an hundred cubits, and the breadth thereof fifty cubits, the height thereof thirty cubits, unto four rows of cedar pillars with cedar beams upon the pillars. What's he doing here? What's this king doing? Uh, Solomon, what's he doing? He's building uh, an armory. He's building a fortress to protect against the enemy. They collected armor. Um, turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 22 again and look at verse number 9 and 10. Not only did they collect armor, they 
fortified the walls. Look at verse 9 and 10 of our chapter, our our principal text. 9 and 10 says, Ye have seen also the breaches of the city of David, that there are many, and ye gather together the waters of the lower pool. By the way, uh, you can still see this in Jerusalem, but what had happened was there was a fountain that provided a water source, and they made sure to extend the wall around this fountain so that even if they were surrounded by an army, they would still have their own source of water that was internal. They could not be cut off from the outside. So they they reworked the walls of the city in an effort to uh, fortify the walls, in order to fortify themselves. Look at verse 10. And ye have numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses that ye have that you broke uh, that you broken down to fortify the wall. What did they do? They tore down houses to build up the wall bigger and stronger so that the enemy couldn't get them. I can see Isaiah. He's preaching to them and they're listening saying, "Ah, eh, we don't need to listen to you. We have collected armor. We have fortified the walls. Hey, no enemy can get to us. And he's saying, you all have turned your back on God. And you all have put your faith in these other things. What you don't understand is that famine and disease is going to be in the valley. What you don't understand is that one day your leaders are going to be filled with fear and they're going to desert you. What you fail to understand is that uh, one day uh, you're going to fall to the hand of a captive and this city is going to be filled with failure and destruction. What else did they do? They serviced the water supply. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter number 32. Second Chronicles is after the kings. First and second kings, first and second chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter number 32. And look with me at verse number 1. We're going to read down through verse number 4. We're going to see how they fortified the water supply. After these things, the Bible says, and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced city and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with the princes and mighty men to stop the waters of the fountain which were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered together uh, much. Uh, there were gathered much people together who stopped all the fountain and the brook that ran together the midst of the land, saying, uh, "Why should the king of Assyria come?" and find much water. And this is the passage I referenced a moment ago where the water source was contained within Israel and the enemy couldn't get to it or have anything to do with it. Uh, look back at Isaiah chapter 22. So we see they collected their armor. They fortified the walls. They serviced the water supply. And then they built a reservoir. Look at verse number 11 of our text here. Isaiah 22. Ye made also a ditch between the two walls for the water of the old pool, but ye have not looked unto the maker thereof, neither had respect unto him and who, that fashioned it long ago. Hey, that water that you think is going to save you in your time of need, that water that you're trusting in and relying on, hey, quit trusting in the water and trust in the maker who made the water. You see what he's saying here? Your faith is in the wrong things. Now, let me ask some questions here, okay? Was it a sin uh, for them tactically to collect armor? Was it a sin for them to fortify the walls around the, the city? Absolutely not. Was it a sin for them to service the water supply or build a reservoir? No, 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 no. It was not a sin. But what was a sin was for them then to take their faith out of God and put it wholly into those things. 
There's nothing wrong with having a savings account. You listening tonight? It is a sin to trust your savings account more than it is to trust God. You all, you all with me tonight? There's nothing wrong with making sure that your home is protected. You have a security system at home. Uh, you, you, you have uh, things in place to help you through a rainy day. Maybe you have a, uh, an emergency uh, food supply. Whatever it would be, there's nothing wrong with those things. But you need to make sure that your faith is first in God. I have learned that any time I have a safety zone, Right where I have this, uh, I have uh, uh, something that is meant to help me through a difficult time. I have found that occasionally God will reach down and check and see if my faith is in that or my faith is in Him. Amen. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and someone, uh, someone uh, had used fraud and and found a way to transfer all of your money away from your bank account, and you had no money in a bank? Some of you say there's nothing there for him to take. Amen? Amen. But to those of you that have some money, how would you handle that? Some of you have money invested in the stock market, crypto. Okay? Not against either one of those. What if all that crashed tomorrow and you had no money? Where's your faith? I mean it. What if, what, if your, what if your health failed you tomorrow and you ended up in a hospital bed for months? Is your faith in you to get you through? Or is your faith in God? For Israel, Isaiah is preaching. You, you need to turn back to the Lord. And they'll look at Isaiah and say, forget you. we got a party on the rooftop with our buddies. We're going to go have a joyous time. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Almost mocking Isaiah. The unbelief of the people. What else did Isaiah see when he looked down and had the valley and the vision? Well, he saw famine and disease. He saw fear and destruction. He saw failure and destruction. Notice, he saw the faithless and depraved. The faithless and depraved. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, the Bible says, And in that day did the Lord God of hosts call to weeping and to mourning and to baldness and to girding with sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, slaying oxen and killing sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And it was revealed in my ears by the Lord of hosts, Surely this iniquity shall not be purged from you till ye die, saith the Lord of hosts, Lord God of hosts. What happened here? God said, You all are so wicked, I'm calling you to national repentance. I'm calling you to put on sackcloth, put ash on your head. I'm calling you to pull the hair out of your own head because you're so distraught over your behavior. I'm calling you uh, to, to have repentance and remorse. And no, instead of that, they went back to having a party. They were so spiritually depraved that even when God called on them, they didn't turn. And I meant to include this verse in my preparation tonight, but I think right here Second Chronicles 7.14 is quite appropriate, isn't it? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Have we become calloused 
toward our own sin. When was the last time that instead of making an excuse for your behavior, you got on your knees and you saw your sin the way God sees it? When was the last time you wrung your hands because you realized how wicked you were in your heart? When was the last time that you shed a tear because you can't seem to just live a life that pleases the Lord on the level you'd like? You see, we lie, and then when we're called out on it, we say, well, everybody lies. We curse, and then when we get called out on it, well, everyone curses. We lose our temper, and then when we get called out on it, we make excuses. Whether they're big sins or what's labeled as little sins. By the way, everybody look up here at me for a minute. I I hope I have everyone's attention tonight. You know what we're really good at? We're really good at pointing out everyone else's sin. We're really good at knowing what everyone else does wrong. When was the last time you took a long, hard look in the mirror and you were just as critical at yourself as you are on all the wicked people out there in the world? We give ourselves a pass while we condemn the world. You are no better than a Pharisee. Woman caught in adultery, you'd be right there with him with a rock in your hand. Let he that is without sin cast the first stone. You see, the Israelites... Their faith was misplaced. They didn't believe in God right before they got carried into captivity. We see the unbelief of the people. We'll we'll cover point two next week. We'll finish out 15 through 25 next week. But I want to ask you this question. Where is your faith? Is your faith in, in God? Or is your faith in everything but? By the way, I'm going to keep coming back to this. I've said this a few times in the last handful of months. I'm going to finish with this right here. Okay, we're almost done. Everybody, let me have your attention for just another minute here. The litmus test of how much you trust God is how quick you are to pray over the mundane things in life. If you are not willing to bow your head and pray and ask God to help you with simple decision-making, much less complicated decision-making, then you are then, in essence, leaning on your own understanding, not the Lord's understanding. Right? Lord, which way should I take to work? For me, there's only one way to take to work. Amen? It's a 30-second walk. Praise God. Lord, what would you have me wear today? Lord, what would you have me do for my family today? Who would you have me text and encourage today? Lord, how do I handle this situation in front of me today? Are we leaning on us? Or is our faith holding fast in the nail that will never be removed, the Lord Jesus Christ? We'll finish that Bible study next week. There are, I'll I'll whet your appetite for it, uh, there are two Bible characters mentioned. One of them, I believe, parallels the Antichrist, and the other one parallels the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at that next week uh, from 15 to 25 and talk about how Christ one day will reign victorious. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you tonight.